Thank you, Sue, for singing that song. Would you take your Bible, with, turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter number 3. We're going to be in verse number 14, 15, and 16 of 1 Timothy, chapter 3. Rise up, O church of God. I remember younger or in years gone by singing a song that opened up like that, Rise up, O men of God. But I think we're living in a time that it is so needful that the church of Jesus Christ rise up and be counted and lift our voice to the Lord and to the world the great truths that we hold and know in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. In the passage of Scripture today, when we're going to read it here in a moment, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 16, Paul is writing to a young guy coming up in the ministry by the name of Timothy. And he's instructing Timothy about the church. And he says, Timothy, here's the way that the church needs to be. Here's how the church ought to function. Here's how the church ought to act. Here is the emphasis upon the church in the community that they're in. Would you stand please for the reading of God's Word? 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to begin now in verse number 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of ground of truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. Father, we ask that you bless the reading of your word. Speak to our hearts through it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated, please. When Paul was writing this epistle and when Timothy was receiving it, they were both very well aware of the temple of Diana there in Ephesus and the great pillars that held up the front and that temple throughout. And so Paul has that imagery in his mind when he says to Timothy that the church of Jesus Christ is the pillar and ground of truth. Now the way you and I might look at it today would be different than that. It would, and that this word means the same. The church of Jesus Christ is the bedrock of the community. Now I want you to think about that for a moment, friend. All over this land, we can go from city to city, from place to place, community to community, state to state, and guess what? We're going to find churches. We're going to find churches, some of them good and some not so good. Some effective, some not effective. But regardless of what we would find, God has designed that His church needs to rise up 
take its rightful position in a community and be the bedrock of that community. Be the pillar and ground, the foundation of truth. I read this week about one of our church-sponsored schools right here in the area, over in Jackson, Union University. Union is a Tennessee Baptist school, receives monies from Tennessee Baptist. And we find that this, this particular time, they just rescinded a graduate student's admission into their school, into the program, because of his open lifestyle of homosexuality. I'm sure that's going to bring them under a lot of fire. That's going to bring them under a lot of heap of a condemnation by a world out there. But I want you to think about something with me. If a school, if a church, if an individual is going to live by the Word and the creed of the Word of God, we're going to have to take stands that are not popular with the society in which we live in. It's just, it's just a part of it. But you see, we cannot shrink back as a church of the living God, as a Christians and a Christian community, and not sound forth the trumpet and the herald that God has put us in this world to be. If the church doesn't stand for truth, nobody's going to, my friend. There will be no truth stood for and no righteousness stood for. And the Bible says it is righteousness that exalts a nation. And so we see that. I am so thankful for the many voices that I'm hearing speak out and are aligning themselves with Christian values. Now I want you to watch that closely. When you watch the news, when you read articles that are published, we're living in a time where everybody has an opinion. And Facebook is filled with opinions. News media is filled with opinions. But listen to me, friend. There is a very glaring difference that God is bringing forth in our land this very hour, and it's the Christian community who is stepping up and saying, here is my voice, here is my opinion, here is what I believe because I'm a Christian. And I'm telling you, friend, that makes a huge difference. I've been amazed at some of the African-American men that have been standing up in our culture, in our society. You can see them being interviewed on television, on ESPN sometimes, on some of the sports programs, sometimes on Fox News. And you see some of these African American men that are standing up and they're saying, because I am a Christian, because Jesus Christ is in my heart and life, this is why I'm taking this particular stand that I'm about to take, and this is why I am saying what I'm about to say. Now, my friend, listen to me. 
I believe the church has reached a time in our culture the church is going to have to rise up and say here is who we are here's what we believe here's what we stand for and it's all based upon scripture the authority of God and because we're a people that have surrendered our life to Jesus and our heart has been changed by Christ Jesus Himself. My friend, listen to me. That is exactly on point what I've shared with you, what Paul is saying to Timothy. He is saying to him, the church is the bedrock of the community. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. And if there's any truth to stand on, the church is going to have to speak it. If there's any truth to anchor a family and a life on and a society on, the church is going to have to set the pace and be the one who guides it in that community. When you read this verse down in verse number 16, He is saying in that verse, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now that word controversy might throw us a little bit because we're living in an hour in our society of much controversy. You don't know who to believe. You don't know what's right, who's right, who's saying what, who's lying, who's telling the truth. There's controversy everywhere you turn. So that word could mislead us a little bit, but let let me give you a probably a more better translation of that word there rather than controversy when you study that word out it's a word that also can be translated confession confession many believe that what we're reading here is a confession a creed of the early church There are creeds in nations, there are creeds in countries, there are creeds in our countries. We have the Declaration of Independence, we have the Gettysburg Address. There are all kinds of different sayings and creeds, uh, and, and of course the Constitution of the United States. But don't you listen to me for a moment, friend. When it comes to the church of Jesus Christ here on earth, when it comes to the church, the pillar and ground of truth, When it comes to the church, the bedrock of the community, here is our creed. Right here it is. Here is our confession. And listen to what our confession is. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached on among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Now friend, that's what we are. That's who we are. And when we stand before the world, that's what we're to decree. That is our creed. That is our confession. That is who we are. We are the church of the living God. You cannot put us in a box. You cannot silence us. You cannot put the church out of business. The church of Jesus is alive and well, and it's going to be testifying to Christ until Jesus comes again. That is the church of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a day for a Christian to stand on that confession of our faith. Now let's run through it and go through it just quickly this morning and try to understand it a little bit. He begins here and says, 
God was manifested in the flesh. You know, when Paul says that God was manifested in the flesh, there is a series of things that he is affirming, a series of things that he is implying here. He is saying that we as the church believe in the virgin birth. Now, you watch that a moment. God. In the Old Testament, you didn't see God. But God was in the Old Testament, wasn't he? And all of a sudden, Paul is saying that here is our confession. God himself has been manifested in the flesh. He is giving affirmation to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a teenager, or if you're a child growing up, or even if you're a young adult and you haven't been raised in church and, and you're new to Christian faith, I mean, friend, listen, we look at that world out there around us and just in the last six months, we can see by behavior of the younger crowd, us older folk can say, wow, there's something wrong here in, in this group of young people that's coming along today. They're doing some mighty unusual and crazy kinds of things. Listen to me, friend. I'm telling you, there are a lot of people out there today who have absolutely no clue and no concept of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling us that's our responsibility as a church to make that truth known. Because if a person does not know who Jesus is, how can they ever trust Him as their Savior and Lord? If they don't understand that God in heaven stepped into this life as a man on earth, but he wasn't a man just like us. He was a sinless man, born of a virgin. He was a man wrapped in human flesh. That is our confession. We need to make that confession known, the existence of Christ, his pre-incarnate appearances in heaven. The Old Testament invisible God has become the New Testament visible God. Do we understand that when you and I go back and we read the Old Testament, we start looking in the Old Testament and we find out quickly that God was spirit and you couldn't see Him. No matter how much you wanted to, you couldn't see God in the Old Testament. You could see the evidence of God, but you couldn't see Him because God is Spirit. But all of a sudden, we come to the New Testament and Jesus Christ is God manifested in flesh. All of a sudden, you can see Jesus. Here He is. He's grown up as a tender plant, Isaiah 53 says. He dwelt among us, John 1.14 says. And all of a sudden, here is Jesus Christ. You can see Him. You can talk to Him. You can touch Him. He's real. He is God, invisible in the Old Testament, who has become visible now. And Jesus has come. And here He is in the flesh. That is our confession as the church of the living God in the world we live in. Philippians 1.6 says, 
being in the form of God, came in the likeness of man. Hebrews 1.3, who being in the brightness of his glory and expressed the image of his person. John 4.24, God is spirit. John 14.9, Philip, have I been so long with you? Jesus said to Philip, that you have not known me? How has that happened? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus Christ living on earth is God who's come to dwell among us. That is the first part of our confession. That confession needs to be made by every one of us in the workplace, in the world, wherever we have opportunity to honor and exalt Jesus and let other people know who Jesus is. Notice as our confession goes on, God was manifested in the flesh and then he says, justified in the spirit. That word justified means vindicated. In other words, Jesus Christ was vindicated in the Spirit by the Spirit of God. Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit of God when he came to John for baptism. And after Jesus was baptized and he came up out of that water, the Bible says the Spirit of God came and lighted upon Jesus. Jesus Christ was vindicated by the Spirit in the miracles that He performed. On Wednesday night, when our discussion, one of the miracles we sort of alluded to was Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine. And how that the miracles vindicate who Jesus is. He raised the dead. Only God can do that. And so Jesus was vindicated by miracles, by signs and wonders. The Spirit also vindicated Jesus Christ at His arrest, at His crucifixion, and finally at His resurrection as He was raised from the dead by the awesome power of a holy God. So notice this confession for a moment. Jesus was manifested in the flesh. He was justified, vindicated by the Holy Spirit. And then number three, it says, seen by angels. Now I find that very interesting, seen by angels. Because certainly in heaven, the angels knew Jesus before Jesus ever came to earth. He was there with the Father, God the Father, God the Son. Jesus was the second person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Jesus, the Scripture says, here seen by angels. But notice something about this confession. Paul is not talking about, the early church was not talking about, Jesus was seen by angels in heaven, but rather Jesus was seen by angels in here upon the earth in His incarnation. You see, when Jesus was born of a virgin and He grew up as a teenage boy, He grew up as a young man. He was God without sin. God in flesh who never sinned. 
He was seen by the angels of God at His birth, at His transfiguration, at His arrest, at the tomb. Jesus was seen in the flesh by angels, which was very different than seen and known by the angels in heaven. All of a sudden they see here is God, Jesus, second person of the Trinity, who has come and is walking on earth in human flesh, wrapped in a human body. And the angels of God saw him. The angels of God witnessed that. The angels of God ministered to him. I remind us, friend, this is the confession of the early church. This is the church rising up. The pillar of ground of truth. The bedrock of the community. We've got to know these things. We've got to get it right. We've got to be accurate in what we're saying and what we're believing and what we're teaching and what we're testifying to the world because, friend, there is this one gospel, one word of God, and it's important that we see it and that we understand it. Notice another word here. It says that Jesus was preached among the Gentiles. Now that is extremely important. That may not mean anything to you. Because you've been a Gentile all our life. We've known more Gentiles than we have Jews. All of our life we've known all about Gentiles being saved. Our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our families. All of us who are Gentiles and some of us have had very little dealings or understanding about the Jewish community. But my friend, it was opposite of that when Paul wrote this scripture. Because you see, back in the early days, it was the Jewish people in the Old Testament. The Jewish nation were God's chosen people. And God chose them out of all the nations of the world. Now other nations could respond to God but Israel, the nation of Israel, was the nation that was to be the pillar and ground of truth in the Old Testament. And boy, did they fail many, many times. Their prophets spoke out, but as a nation, they, they weren't very effective in the Old Testament. So we come to the New Testament, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes. Many Jews then begin to understand, this is our Messiah. This is who was preached to us in the Old Testament by the prophets. And so many Jews began to trust Christ as their Savior. They were gloriously saved. Their lives were transformed by the power of God. And so that early church, that New Testament church, that church on the day of Pentecost, was primarily a Jewish people who had seen and found the Messiah, and their lives were transformed by the power of God. And here was the confession now of the early church. Christ is not coming only for the Jews, but the Gentiles too. He came for the whole world. And so here Paul is saying, he has been preached among the Gentiles. 
And that's exactly the pioneering way that the gospel traveled in those early years in the New Testament. The gospel was taken by the Jews to the Samaritans, to the Gentiles. The gospel was taken there to the entire world. And then God gave the commission. The gospel in the end of Matthew's gospel is to be taken to the entire world. Jew and Gentile alike is to hear the message. The church is to rise up and see to it that the whole world hears about Jesus. That is this part of confession preached among the Gentiles. And I'm so glad he was, aren't you? Because I got to be saved. You got to be saved. Our families got to be saved. Along with the Jews as well. And then he says, in the fourth point in this uh, confession, believed on in the world. Jesus has been believed on in the world. Millions of people in the world have placed their faith in Jesus. They heard about Jesus, God coming in the flesh. And they know that Christ loved them and died on the cross for them. And many people in the world have believed in Jesus Christ. I believe the single most great confession we might find in the New Testament about believing on Jesus was, was stated, was said... By the Roman centurion standing at the cross, who witnessed the crucifixion, who also witnessed the resurrection. And Matthew 27 verse 54, that Roman centurion who had participated in the crucifixion uttered these words, Truly, this was the Son of God. And my friend, He is, isn't He? Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. There is one more word in this confession that I will give you before we close. It says that he was received up in glory. Now go back and let's just look at that whole confession all as it, as it just uh, streams down that page. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and finally received up into glory. Isn't that exactly what happened with Jesus Christ? After His resurrection from the tomb, He spent 40 days here upon the earth, and many people saw Him. Many were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ. But at the end of that 40 days, He went out on a mountain there in Galilee, and he called his disciples around him and he gave them his final word. And it says he breathed on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And then it says he departed out of their presence. And exactly like this church confession, this creed, he re was received up to glory. When we read John 17, he's preparing to leave planet earth and go back to heaven. And in John 17, Jesus is praying his prayer to the Father. And he says, Father, I have finished your work. I have finished the mission. 
I'm now ready to come back. I'm ready to come to heaven and receive that same glory that I had with you before I ever came to this earth. And so here is Jesus now at the end of this confession received back into glory by God the Father. Now my friend, listen to me and get this. Be clear in this. This is the confession of the church of the living God on planet earth. God has put us here to speak this confession to the world and to our community. He has put us here to live this confession out. And all over this world, all over this nation, the church, it's time that the church rise up and state to the world, this is who we are. We're not playing games. We're not playing politics. We're not beating around the bush with other people. Our fight is not the fight you have, world. Our fight and our mission is right here in the Word of God. It's to be the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth in this community. If the Bible says it, we're going to believe it. If the Bible says it, we're going to live it out. If the Bible says it, we're committed to it. If the Bible says it, that's where we stand. Don't wonder where we stand. We stand with what the Word of God says. The We are the pillar and ground of truth. I want to end with this one, one word where it says he was received up in glory. Do you know, friend, because you belong to Jesus and you've been saved, that same thing is going to happen to you. You're going to be received up into glory someday. When you breathe your last breath, you don't have to wonder what's going to happen. When you breathe your last breath, you're going to be received up to glory. The last beat of your heart will be here and the next beat of your spiritual eternal heart will be in heaven with the Lord. Your heart won't even skip a beat. When you breathe your last and you leave, you and I as Christians will be received up into glory just like Jesus. That's the promise we have of the Word of God. I want you to turn to one passage, and don't worry, we're two minutes from being finished, okay? Ah, two and a half. Give me 30 extra seconds. Look with me for a moment just at Mark. I want you to see the words of Jesus Himself talking about your end and mine, talking about our death when we leave this old planet. And in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19, Jesus was telling a story. And that story was about two men. It was about a rich man and a poor man. About a rich man and a beggar man. And Jesus said there was a rich man. Verse 19, there was a beggar named Lazarus. Verse 20. But look at what Jesus said in verse 22. Now this is important. This is crucial. Notice it closely. So it was that the beggar died, and what? Was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. 
Now isn't that interesting? We're going to begin at the back of that and make our way forward. But now remember, this is Jesus telling a story. This, we know it's 100% accurate. Jesus is the one who controls life and death to begin with. And Jesus says, this rich man died. And when he died, they took him out and they buried him. That's all he had to say about that rich man. Because that rich man was lost. Not because he was rich. He was lost because he had never trusted Christ as his Savior. Now the rest of that chapter describes that rich man at his end of life. When he dies and goes to hell without Christ. And Jesus describes what life was like for that man in hell. But the key thing that I wanted us to notice is this careful choosing of the words that Jesus chose to describe the end of the life for this beggar. Notice verse 22. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. You see, Abraham's bosom represents paradise. That represents heaven. And Jesus is giving you and I information that as a Christian, as a believer, when you die, you're going to be immediately carried by angels into the presence of God in heaven. Like the thief on the cross, Jesus said to him who was saved, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now I think it's very interesting there because the beggar was a beggar in this life but he was a king in heaven. He was a rich man in heaven. In fact the Bible says in the book of James chapter 2 verse 5 God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. Do you know friend that As long as you live, and as long as we live, as long as this world exists, there are going to be beggars in this life. You're going to see beggars. You're going to see beggars with a sign when you pull off of an exit at a grocery store or at a coming into Walmart or Cookville or anywhere you may coming off an exit on an interstate. You're always going to see somebody handling a sign. Back in the day, I don't know if it's as much now, but when we used to go to the courthouse, there would always be a beggar on the street with a little tin cup with some coins in it, begging, wanting some alms, wanting some money. When we went on mission trips, there were always beggars all over the streets and all over the places that we would go. My, my friend, the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus says, and the Word of God says, you will have the poor With you always. But I want to tell you something. There's something worse than being poor. And there's something worse than being a beggar. There's something worse than being a street person. There's something worse than being in a homeless shelter. And what's worse is to be there lost without Jesus. And die and go to hell. Because you see, friend, if you're a beggar, you may never have anything in this life. If you're poor, you may never own anything in this life. You may never own a house, a home. You may never have a car. 
But if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this scripture says that when you die and when all of us die, we will be carried by the angels into the presence of God just as Jesus was received up to glory, so will you and me as a believer, whether we're rich or poor or anything in between. Do we know Jesus as our Savior? My friend, rise up, O church of God. That is our message for the world. Do not let anything or anyone sidetrack you and get you off that message. If they put a camera in your face, that's your message, that's your word. When they ask you about what's going on in the community, in the world today, there is where we can find our answer because that is who we are. As the people of God, the church of the living God, our confession, the bedrock of the community, as Paul said it to Timothy, the pillar and ground of truth. He said, Timothy, don't let them take the church away from their responsibility. That's who we are. Would you bow with me as we pray for a moment? As we pray, as our hearts are stirred, if you have a decision for Christ that you want to make, maybe you have never been saved, maybe you have never trusted Christ, I invite you to come forward on this invitation. I'd love to talk with you and pray with you here at the front about trusting Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. If you haven't been living and serving Christ, Maybe you want to come and rededicate yourself. There's an altar here. You can kneel and and pray at that altar, committing and recommitting your life to the Lord, to be the church, to be the Christian that God has called you to be. Would you come? Father, have your way in our hearts and lives. May we as the church of God rise up. May we speak the truth. May we be an example of the truth of the things of God in a world in which we live. Lord, if we don't do that as a people of God, it will go undone and you will be grieved. But empower us, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.